time. And uh, we are, we're going to talk a little bit this morning, in fact, we're going we're gonna to talk through uh, the end of Paul's life, in fact. We're going to see a picture of the Apostle Paul's life at the very end. Uh, and so if you have your Bibles with me, you can turn to Acts chapter uh, 20. We're going to be looking at chapter 20, verses 17 uh, to the end of that chapter, to 38. The Apostle Paul, just to give you as you're, as you're turning there and the kids are leaving, uh, the Apostle Paul, uh, in chapter 9 of Acts, we see uh, this, this radical conversion. And I say radical because in chapter 8 of Acts and in chapter 7 of Acts, we see this man named Saul. And described, in fact, I was looking, if you just look at the headings in some of your Bibles, if you have an ESV, and it says in there, Paul's savage, I think it is, attack on the church. Like, so, or Saul, I mean. And so you see this man named Saul, who was actually killing and imprison, putting Christians in prison. And so here is a man who is dead set on stomping out Jesus' church. He is as much against Jesus' church as you can find somebody against it. He is actively uh, on a mission, in fact, sent by the leaders, the Jewish leaders of that day, to do just that, to knock this sect, this little group of people, out completely. And that's what he's doing. He's going from town to town, putting Christians in prison. And then all of a sudden we get to chapter 9, and Paul's on a, you know, just having another ordinary week you know, on the job of killing and imprisoning Christians. And uh, he's walking along the Damascus Road in chapter 9, and in an instant, he meets Jesus, the risen Jesus. And Jesus says to him, Paul, why are you persecuting me? If you go back to chapter 9 this afternoon, you can read that story. Powerful, powerful Moment. Why are you persecuting me? I love Jesus' words there, where he doesn't say, Paul, why are you persecuting my church? He's saying it's one and the same thing. When you persecute the church, you are persecuting Jesus. When you're against Jesus' church that he gave his life for, you are against Jesus. Right? And so Jesus says, Paul, why are you persecuting me? Every Christian that is killed, every Christian that's put in prison is an act of violence against Jesus himself. And Paul, in that moment, is completely transformed and changed. So what we're seeing today in Acts chapter 20 is that this man, this, this man who was completely against Jesus, perpetrating acts of violence upon Jesus' people whom he had died for, becomes radically transformed, given a new heart, and he goes on from Acts chapter 9 to begin to proclaim and live the gospel and plants more churches. I mean, a third of the New Testament is written by this man, the Apostle Paul. And the churches, that, and the disciples that were made, the churches that were established uh, is really the, the foundation and the movement of, of Christianity uh, in the first century. And so, I want to set that kind of background because in Acts chapter 20, and we'll read it here in just a moment, in Acts chapter 20, the Apostle Paul gets to the end of his life, uh, well, I, maybe, we don't know, but we, well, we know, <laughs> he did not know exactly in that moment, except that he'd had enough warnings from God and other people, but, but he's, he's at the end of his life, and he knows he's, he, he's probably not going to see some of these Christians again, and so he's on a mission to go to Jerusalem. Now, I just want to set another little background before we read the text. The reason why he's going back to Jerusalem is because the other part of the New Testament, that in the book of Acts especially that we see, is that Paul, it, it, a good chunk of, the, of Paul's journeys of going around from church to church is because he's raising money. And he's raising money. He's taking up an offering because the Jerusalem church is being persecuted and they're not able to take jobs and they are in serious straits. And so you have these Jewish Christians in Jerusalem being persecuted and they are suffering, not able to supply for their families, not able to get jobs, not able to buy food. And so Paul is going around to the Gentile churches and he's collecting up an offering. You can look at this at the end of uh, Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, especially the end of 1 Corinthians and in 2 Corinthians 9. He's taken up this offering. So he's going from church to church, all the churches, that, most of which he established. 
And he's going back to those churches, taking up an offering, and he's going to go to Jerusalem, and he's going to deliver this relief to the Christians who are suffering in Jerusalem. And what's interesting is, the people, so he meets with the Ephesian elders, one of the churches he spent the most time with. He calls the Ephesian elders to him. He tells them to come see him. There's a whole reason behind that, but we won't get into that part. And he calls these Ephesian elders, the leaders of this church, to come and meet with him. And he gives them a bit of a farewell speech. This is like the second farewell speech, because at the beginning of Acts 20, he gives another farewell speech that doesn't go well for a certain young man. You can read that. It's kind of a funny story there. (laughs) Actually, it does go well, because God raises him from the dead. But anyway, now you're curious. You'll have to go read it. And... uh, but, but he calls these elders to himself, and he gives a bit of a farewell speech. And there's an interesting thing here that creates a dilemma that we're not going to preach on today, but I have to raise it because it's in the text. At the end of chapter... So Paul says in our text today, we're going to find, that the Spirit of God has, has informed him that he will face, on his way to Jerusalem, and certainly in Jerusalem, he will face imprisonment and possibly even death. That trouble awaits him in Jerusalem. But he is going to go to Jerusalem no matter what. He is committed to going to Jerusalem, and he believes God has called him to do so. At the end of chapter, or in the middle of chapter 21, the, the, there's a, a group of Christians who actually also believe that the Holy Spirit has these bad things, has, has confirmed that these bad things are going to happen to Paul, but they believe that's a sign from God that he should not go to Jerusalem. There's a dilemma. You ever, we ever have that in the church as Christians? Where one person says, I believe God's telling me to do X, and another person says, I believe God's telling you to not do X. (laughs) Ever have those dilemmas, right? Ever have a Christian speak on your behalf and let you know what they think God should do on your behalf? Yeah, Yeah, happens a lot. In fact, happens a whole lot in Christianity. Like God, you know, I love you, you know, or God loves you and I have a wonderful plan for your life, right? Right? This is... I find it fascinating. The Bible is so real, right? It's so down to earth. It gets right down where we live because these are dilemmas that we have. And how do you know whether Paul is right or these Christians are right? How do you know? They both believe the Holy Spirit is saying something to them. How do you know? Well, I'm not going to clear that up for you today (laughs) because I don't think the text does. Paul simply is going to say, and you will see this in the text as we go through it, Paul's simply going to say, I count my life as worth nothing compared to going and preaching the gospel. Paul's going to answer to them and go, look, if I'm going to die, I'm going to die, right? And they're saying, Paul, you're going to die, don't go. The Spirit has told us. Paul says, no, I'm going, right? In the end, God gets glory, right? That's what we're going to see. In the end, God is going to be glorified and his church is going to be built up and relief is going to get given to the poor and Paul is going to die. All of those things are true. So is it God's will or not? I think we can say that answer is yes. (laughs) But, yeah, we'll leave the other dilemma to you to wrestle with for the rest of your Christian life. And we will clear it up one day face to face in the presence of Jesus. So with that introduction to this little passage that we're going to look at. Let's stand this morning as we read God's word. Acts chapter 20, starting in verse 17. And we're just going to walk through this. And I want to particularly just let your mind think about Paul's life and his example of what it looks like to, have, to be a Christ-centered leader. We're going to talk about leadership today. But in particular, what it really looks like to learn to live and to love and to serve like Jesus, to spend our lives in that way. And so Paul's going to show us through his own life and his little farewell speech here a picture of that. Um, so let us read God's word. And we stand because this is God's word. It's not mine. It's not yours. It's his word to us. He is speaking to us today through his word. And so let us receive it and hear it with ears that the spirit of God would apply it to our lives. Verse 17. Now from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him And when they came to him, he said to them, you yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility, with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house 
testifying both to the Jews and to the Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And now, behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, there it is, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not count my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now behold, I know that none of, none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. And therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all, For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me in all things. I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and he prayed with them all. And there was much weeping and on the, on the part of all, they embraced and Paul and they kissed him, being sorrowful, most of all, because of the word he had spoken that he would not see, they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. Let's pray. Our gracious God, help us to learn from the life of Paul. May our own lives today, by the power of your Spirit, be inspired to live and to love and to serve like Paul in every way. Lord, would you cause us to be stirred up, to desire God more and more, to be your servants everywhere we go this week that in everything we do, we would bear witness to who you are. And so, Lord, uh, teach us today. Help me, I pray. Give me the strength to teach this word in this moment. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. I think it's an interesting thing in the Bible that uh, almost uh, a, a large majority of the leaders in the Bible did not finish their life well. Have you ever noticed that? If you read through the Old Testament... Uh, a lot of the key leaders of the Old Testament did not finish their life well. They began in one way, but they didn't, they didn't finish. And, and you've heard the saying, in fact, it's not how you start out in life, but it's how you finish in life that matters. And there's, there's a whole list of leaders and a whole list of issues that came up in their lives that they did not handle well, that at the end of their life it tripped them up. Uh, tons and tons, just, just a whole mess in the Old Testament of these things. And so I find it fascinating when we find somebody who finished well in their life, who actually finished their life well. And the Apostle Paul here gives us an example of someone who finished well. And I would hope and pray that we, in this room, that we would also pray that we would, that we would finish well. That, that the God of the universe who lives in us, who's given his spirit to us, would cause us to persevere to the end right? To the very end, no matter what that would be. That we would be those who would finish our life and finish this race really, really well. Now, I want to just say that as we look at this passage of Paul's life, and he's going to, in a sense, testify to his ministry that he's had among them, he's going to, he's going to give a testimony here, in essence. Um, I know that he's talking here to some elders in a church, shepherds in a church. And so we could literally just focus this whole message on what does it look like to be a shepherd of the church, to be in that role, an elder in a church. But I, I want to broaden this out because the very things that Paul is going to share about his life pertain to every one of us. 
Because Paul is simply trying to live like Jesus, right? That's what he's doing. And, and I would commend to you today that everything about Paul's life is committed to you as well, to pray that the God of the universe would do this very same work, would give you the same heart and the same atti- attitude and the same desire to see the gospel go forth, that you would view your life in the same way that Paul viewed his life because Paul is seeking to view his life and his ministry the same way that Jesus viewed life and ministry. And so, so I want to say this at the start. Every person in this room is a leader of sorts. Every single one of you. You lead in some way. There are people in your life whom you influence every single solitary day. People that are watching you, you may not even know who they are. You may not realize how much you are, your life counts how much God is working for you, but you and I, every one of us, including the young children in this room, are leading in some way. You have some kind of influence over someone in some way. And so let me just challenge you that while Paul's talking about elders, which is a particular type of leadership, he's talking to these elders in a church. In reality, every one of us in general are leaders of some sort, and we need to pray that God would give us the, the ability to, to have the right kind of a godly, Christ-centered kind of leadership or influence on the people around us. That we would be effective in the people, uh, gospel effective in the people that we influence, the people that we are leading. Whether it's uh, you're a, a business owner, whether you're a store clerk, whether you're a nurse or a doctor, whether you're a mom or a dad, uh, whatever way, whether you are a teammate on a sports team, You are influencing people in some way, and so which way are you influencing them today? The Apostle Paul is going to testify to how he has influenced these leaders in the church. And he's not telling them something they don't know. Listen to what he says here, and listen to these characteristics. He says, you yourselves know. (laughs) See, he's not, you already know this, but let me just testify to this. He says, you already know these things, and I want you to notice what he begins with. Paul begins, first he says, you know how I what? How I lived among you. Right? So Paul's, as he's testifying about his own ministry to them and his own leadership to them, he begins by talking about the life that he lived that they know full well all about because he lived it among them. Right? His life had an impact on them, and they know exactly how he lived. It's really important for me to say that, because because he's going to then also talk about his teaching. So he's talking about how he lived and how he taught. I was having, the reason why that matters is because I was having a conversation, uh, it's probably been nine, ten months ago, I was with somebody, not anybody here, not even in this state. Uh, We were in a bit of a little serious discussion. Uh, and, uh, and he was, I was, I was challenging him that we not only need to proclaim the gospel with our words, sharing the very truth of the words of the gospel, the, the reality of Jesus's life and death and resurrection, the, the big picture reality of the, the whole story of the, the kingdom of God that is unfolding and began in Christ. And like the, we, we not only need to share that truth But that truth also is commended to the people around us, to those who are far from Jesus, by how we live it out. Right? Jesus, if, if if the king of the universe, Jesus, came, and he didn't just come and say, the kingdom is here, repent, and and I'm out. No, no, no. He actually showed the reality of the kingdom by what? by signs and miracles, by caring for the, the woman at the well, right? He, he actually lived his life in such a way, loved in such a way, and even did miracles, like just put on display the power of God. He just didn't come and say, hey, God is powerful. No, he, his own life bore witness to the reality that God was powerful. This is why the Pharisees, and the, the, when Jesus was teaching, the crowd said, he, he's not like our own teachers of the law. He teaches as one who has authority. 
Why is that? Is it simply because he was a better speaker? I don't think so. It was because there was something about his whole life, everything about him, everything about his ministry, everything about what he did, not just what he said. In fact, uh, we probably have more of accounts of what he did than even the things he said. Like the, the scriptures are filled with this. So it's both and, right? And so Paul begins by going, you know, first and foremost, how I lived among you. How are we living in this world? How are we by our own life, not only proclaiming the gospel, but putting the gospel of Jesus Christ, the grace of God on display through our lives? This is what Paul's going to testify. He says, you know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day I set foot in Asia. And here's what he's going to say about his life. Serving the Lord, serving the Lord, every single thing we do in life is to be about serving the Lord. When you make lunch today, it's about Jesus. None of that may sound really silly, right? It's not silly. Every single thing in your life today is about Jesus. It's about serving him. The, the way in which you do everything you do today ought to be with a heart that, that Jesus would be served, that he would be honored. And so Paul talks about the demeanor by which he served the Lord. He says, he says, serving the Lord, how? With all humility. I love how he doesn't just say in a humble way. With all humility. If there's anything missing in this world right now, and even, and maybe especially in Jesus' church, it's this. I love that Paul says, it's with all humility. First thing, out of the gate, you know how I lived among you? I served the Lord, and I did it with what? With, with humility. With a, a humble spirit. A desire. This is what a servant is, right? This is what Jesus even said. Jesus said, I came not to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many, right? It's the complete opposite of everything you said. This is why the, in the little argument the, the disciples were having about who's the best, Jesus says, I'll tell you who's the best. It's the one who serves. In fact, he goes even further and says it's the slave of all. It's the one who... The, the, the true leader among us, the true leaders among us are those who are humble, who serve the Lord, who have a servant's heart, and who do it with humility, right? That's, that's an, an attitude. This is how, in fact, we show the world a whole different way of life, right? Because everything in this world right now is heated and intense and insane, and if I could just say it, this even in Jesus' church, it's crazy. And in some ways, we need to heed Paul's testifying and saying, here's, here's what our demeanor ought to look like. If we're going to serve the Lord, we do it with all humility. Secondly, he says, and with tears. I find that fascinating. When you and I think of the Apostle Paul, like I'm thinking of things like this, and these things are not inconsistent. But Paul had a moment where some Christians in Corinth were way out of line. I mean, there was sin going on in their lives that Paul said not even the non-Christians are okay with that kind of sin. And Paul says, I'm going to come to you in two ways. I'm going to come with the whip, <laughs> right? Because this is so outrageous that it's actually doing damage to the name of Christ, right? Or he says, I'm going to come to you in gentleness, Right? And so when Paul says all humility and tears, he doesn't mean without boldness and firmness and clarity, right? And we're going to see this in just a moment. These things are not inconsistent. But, but he says here that he, he, he was among them with all humility and with tears. With, and, and by tears, I believe the, the, many of the commentators say what he means is he had compassion, right? He was like Jesus. You remember Jesus when he looked out over the crowds? And the disciples, these are the crowds that even his own disciples were saying, let's send them away, Lord. 
Like, we don't really have time for them. There's too many of them. The needs are too great. Let's send them away. And yet Jesus' attitude was, he says, he looked at them. He saw them as helpless and harassed like sheep without a shepherd. And it says he had compassion on them. I think that's a bit of what Paul's saying here. I came among you with, with tears, with humility and with tears. And with trials. I wish we could get rid of that one, right? If we could take that one out, everything would be all right, right? I could, I, the humility thing, I think we could probably figure out the, the tears and compassion. Uh, but, but Paul actually says, part of the way that I served the Lord among you was in trials. Um, you've probably heard me say this, but uh, as Christians, I think we're like tea bags. We don't, you don't really know what we're made of until you drop us in hot water. And then you find out what's really, what really is the consistency of our faith. And, and many of you know this in this church. Many of you have suffered deeply. You've suffered loss. You've suffered heartache. You've suffered depression. You've suffered the loss of jobs. You've suffered through cancer. You've suffered through divorce, through relationship crisis, financial distress. We've all suffered through the last year and a half. Paul says one of the ways that his life puts on display, in essence, the reality of God is through trials. These trials are a means of God to show the glory and the goodness of God to the world around us, right? It's to encourage us amongst each other as we see a brother or sister faithfully trust the Lord in the midst of trials, but it's also the putting on display the greatness and the goodness of God, that he's good no matter what, that he will sustain no matter what, that he provides for his people. And so Paul says, you know how I lived among you, serving the Lord with all humility, tears, and trials. And those trials came through the plots of the Jews. And you don't have to read the book of Acts very long. I've said this many times, the Jews just follow Paul around town to town. They got nothing better going on in their life. And I think there's a lot of that going on today too, right? Like there's, we just follow each other around and criticize each other all the time. Like we got nothing better happening. Like there's no other mission out there but to do so. It's crazy in our world. Um, but secondly, we see Paul's teaching. So we've seen his life. Here's what Paul says about his teaching. And he says, he says in verse 20, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house. So Paul, so Paul is talking about demeanor again. There's a demeanor of his life, humility, tears, even in the midst of trials. And then he says, and he didn't shrink back, which means there was a boldness. There was a, in fact, there was an honesty to Paul. He was honest. He didn't, he didn't uh, in fact, I love in, in Corinthians, he talks about, I came with much fear and trembling as I preached the gospel to you. I, I love that word, fear and trembling. He wasn't low as Paul was just this confident, you know, he's just going to come and lay out the truth and to heck with everything else, right? The kind of hellfire and brimstone that we think of when we think about preaching back in the good old days, right? <laughs> I don't think that's what Paul's talking about at all. Paul simply was talking about the fact that he was just honest. He was just dead honest. He was willing to open up the word of God and just lay it out and say, here's the truth. With tears and humility, not with pulpit pounding, but with humility, with tears, with compassion, with pleading and urging, right? And th this is what he's saying. He's saying, so, so he didn't shrink from these things. He didn't hold back in that way. He had a sense of boldness. And he, I love this. He says, teaching you anything that was profitable. I think that's a powerful thing. I'm, I'm not even sure exactly in this context everything that that would mean. But he's teaching that which is profitable. You know, not everything in every moment is actually profitable for the moment. Just because you know something to be true doesn't mean you should tell everybody about it in that moment, right? There's wisdom that comes as to when to say something and when not to say something, even when you know it's right. 
There's wisdom in that. And, and the Apostle Paul put that on display. He says, I taught you everything that was profitable, and we're going to find out what that is, and teaching you in public. So he taught in public squares, in public places, and from house to house. Now, we might think that that was like small groups. Uh, the reality was house to house back then were the churches, right? Uh, the, the church in Asia... Uh, you know, as, the, as that church began, it spread out to the homes. It met in homes. And, and those homes weren't small either. They had, many of them have little courts. Some people estimate that many of those house churches are probably one to 200 people on average. Uh, so it's not necessarily uh, just small groups of people, but it's, it's, the, it's the church scattered out. He, he went in public and then he went from home to home teaching in all these churches. Um, and then he says, what did he teach about? He says, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks. In other words, he didn't care who it was. <laughs> Jews or Gentiles, that means everybody back then. He says, testifying both to Jews and to Gentiles. What was the focus of it? Repentance towards God and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. What did he teach? He taught the gospel. He pleaded with people to, to have repentance towards God, to turn from their sin and turn to the living God and to put their faith in Jesus Christ, their Savior. That was their only hope, right? This is what Paul saw his public ministry as being about. I want to give a little tiny warning this morning, and I'm going to get in trouble for this, but I'm going to say it. Um, that's what this pulpit is for. It's to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's not to go beyond that. This is not a place where we talk about the politics of the day. This is a place where we open this book and we, we discover the God of this book and we, we see him in all of his goodness and his glory and we proclaim him and we lift him up. It's not, this is not a forum to discuss everything out that's going on out there. This is a forum to discuss what's going on here, and this is what impacts everything that's going on out there. Let us be the kind of people who live our lives, like Paul's saying, according to the book, right? Who actually are shaped and being formed by the gospel of Jesus Christ, and let us proclaim that gospel, and let that be the thing that permeates our communities and dominates conversations. Let that be the thing that matters. Not that we stand up here and try to parse and dissect what's going on in Congress. Oh, heavens. Who could ever figure such things out? Right? If anything, when we look out there and we look at the chaos, we go, this is just all the more. We need Jesus. We need to come here and we need to remind ourselves what matters, what's most important. Right? It's Jesus. So Paul's saying that the purpose of his ministry is to proclaim repentance towards God and faith in Jesus Christ. This is what's most needed. This is what a dying, fragile, fractured world needs. They need Jesus. And then he says, um, moving forward, he did this from home to home. Uh, he proclaimed the gospel and he says, And now behold... I'm going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Holy Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except, I kind of know what's going to happen, <laughs> that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and trials or afflictions await me. And I love what Paul says, and only a person with a transformed life filled with the Holy Spirit could say and truly mean what Paul says here. Verse 24, but I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. I want you to, I want you to think about this. It's easy for us to look at Paul's life, right? Planting churches, starting a whole movement. <laughs> um, and go, man, that's awesome for Paul, right? And we can maybe point to some even contemporaries. We go, man, that's great for them. They've been called to a ministry. But you and I, every single person in this room is called to this ministry right here. This is what your life is about. Paul's not just speaking of some vocational person who gets paid to lead Jesus' church. He's talking to every Christian. 
that our lives, our lives are meant to be those that, that, that hold up the grace of God, right? That when he says, uh, I want to finish my course. I love this. He's, again, talking about finishing well. I want to finish my course. And, and the, the, the I've got to get to the right spot here. Finish my course. Finish my course. I'm still saying that because I can't find it. And the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. This is what God has called Paul to do. And he's called Paul to do it in a specific way. But he's also called you to do this. And he's called you to do it in the very specific ways of your own life. All the little details of the way that you, you live and have influence in the spheres of the world that you live in. He has called all of us to testify to the grace of God. And we're to do it in various ways. Not all of us are the Apostle Paul, right? Praise the Lord, right? But, but all of us are called to that. All of us are called to, to that kind of ministry and this kind of demeanor and this kind of desire and boldness and gentleness and love and care uh, to see people come to know God. And all of us, I think, need to wrestle with the reality, especially in light of everything going on in our world, how, how do we view our lives? How do we view our lives? What is a, what is a God-centered, Christ-centered, gospel-focused, worthy risk look like? Um, I think uh, our missionaries in India put that on display all the time. They don't count their lives as precious to themselves. And that doesn't mean that they're all wanting to die. If you've ever talked to uh, actual Christians who've lived in persecuted places where you could die, um, they're not like these big, they're not out there like, man, they're just giants in the faith. No, they're scared to death just like you and I are. My wife and I went to a Voice of the Martyrs conference a number of years ago, and we got to meet one of the, one of the people that we've been, we prayed for this person as a church years ago, that they would get released from prison in Iran. And we went to this Voice of the Martyrs conference here in Washington, and lo and behold, that person was there and spoke. We, couldn't, we didn't know that. It was crazy. But I was so humbled by the way he spoke, humbled by his simple Christianity, his simple yet deep faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And I was humbled by the fact that he wasn't up there sharing some bravado of a story of how God is, you know, how he's so strong and God just did. No, his, his only thing was that Jesus just worked big. And he, I remember him saying so much about, we are scared every day. We're fearful about what awaits us. And yet, Jesus is more precious than their life. They're fearful of dying. And yet Jesus is more precious than their own life. I don't think any of us in the room here are like, yeah, take me today. <laughs> Maybe some of you are. I don't know. But is, do we really count Jesus as being more precious than our life? Can we say with Paul that I account my life as no value, nor as precious to myself, but only that I would finish the course, only that I would testify to the grace of God? Can I... Can I say that in my life? Man, I hope. So Paul, in sharing this, we're going to turn a page here in just a moment. Uh, Paul, in sharing this, he's testifying to them. He's, he's simply sharing his life. Here's, here's what they already know. Let, let me just recount this in this moment, like a farewell kind of speech. Let me give you this thing. And what Paul's doing is he's doing what leaders need to do. Leaders need to not only motivate people, but leaders are actually best when we, when we actually inspire people, not simply by what we say, but also by how we live. And in fact, I think with the age of internet and media and all the, there's a lot of talk nowadays, right? A lot of talk and very little action, <laughs> right? And leadership, those, if we're going to have influence on people, then we have, to, we have to roll the sleeves up and actually have compassion on people and care for people and live lives of humility with tears, serving in the midst of trials, serving in the midst of difficulties, having the heart of God, having the mind of Christ in us. So Paul, having shared this, he's now going to turn to them 
And he says, now behold, I know that none of, you, none, of, none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom of God will see my face again. So it gives us bad news. And now he's going to turn, and we're going we're gonna to cruise to the end of this because our time's going to run out. But the, but the last part of this is two exhortations, or actually, it's a, it's a warning surrounded by two exhortations. So Paul's going to give them a, a couple, a big warning in the middle but he's going to surround it with this exhortation, meaning, go do this. Here's, here's a plea. Here's a charge to the church. Here's what you ought to do. Here's what it would look like. And so in verse 26, he turns the corner here. It's the second part of what he's going to say here. He says, therefore, so in light of the example that I've set for you, which is the example that Jesus set for him, in light of this, therefore... He says, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all. Now, why would he start with that? He's basically saying, my conscience is clear. And what he's simply saying to them is, I have lived my life for the sake of Jesus in your midst. I have not led you astray. I haven't sought to lead you away from Jesus. I've lived my life in such a way that Jesus would be glorified in my life, that that you would, would be commended to live like Christ. So he's just simply saying, my, my conscience is clear. Actually, other places, the Apostle Paul says this when he is exhorting leaders. He says, he says to lead with a clear conscience. He'll end his phrases in a couple different places, like in Philippians. He says to have a clear conscience before God and men. And he says, so verse 27, he says, For, he says it again, For I didn't shrink back from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Now, that doesn't mean that Paul taught them everything there is to know about God, because there's no one alive who could do such things. But, but what Paul's saying is that I, I laid out to you everything I could, all that I could tell you about God, I tried to tell you about him. I, I, didn't, I didn't, like, pick and choose, right? He says, I taught you the whole counsel of God's word. This is one of the reasons why at Timberline, especially if you're new here, you may not know this, that, that we teach through most often books of the Bible, because, because we as teachers and pastors at times, we, we like our pet subjects, right? Like we could talk about, like, like this summer, really. I mean, we've been able to like do a few messages here and there, right? We're, we're doing a couple things. But when it gets back to fall, we're going to dive back into a book of the Bible, and we're going to go through it verse by verse. And the reason why we do that is because it keeps our own hearts at check, number one. Because we can't just stand up here and just get on our pet peeves and our, our things that we want to talk about in Scripture, but we have to talk about all that Scripture says. Last week we ended with verse 15, we're going to pick it up with 16 this week, and whatever 16 on says, we're going to deal with that subject, right? It forces us to deal with the whole counsel of God's Word, and so that's why as the more majority of the course of our teaching, we just go through books of the Bible because it keeps us on track and it unfolds and helps us to look at all of what God says. And so Paul's simply saying to them, this is the way he taught. <laughs> he, he unfolded all the counsel of God's word. He didn't pick and choose. He sought to teach them the whole picture. And then he gives them an exhortation that says, pay, so pay careful attention. Now here he's speaking directly to these elders. Verse 28, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock. I love that. He first says, if you're going to be a good leader, and he's talking to these elders who are going to shepherd the church, but I I want you just to think about this in in all of your lives. He says, if you're going to be a good leader, you need to first pay attention to your own life. The worst kind of leader is the hypocrite, right? None of us in this room likes a hypocrite who says one thing and does another. Like, that drives us crazy. And yet, we all are hypocrites, right? We all, at some level, don't live up to the truth that we believe. Am I right? You guys are kind of like not with me here. Yeah. I just called you all hypocrites. At least you could like be mad about it, okay? So, I mean, so but, but that's the reality, right? We, and so the first thing, if you're going to lead, is to first examine your own life. It's to first, in fact, one of the greatest ways to not be a jerk when you're trying to discipline somebody like your kids or your, your, you know, I don't know, your neighbor, your friend, when you're actually trying to call them on something, the best and first place to start, which is what scripture says, is to start with your own stuff first. Kill your own sin and then, what does Jesus say? Take the log out of your eye and then you'll see clearly the little speck, right? That's what he's, that's what Paul's saying. He's saying, pay attention to yourself 
lead yourself well <laughs> and to the flock of God. God in his grace has given elders and shepherds to his church to lead and to care and to protect and to feed and to encourage. And so he's encouraging them, pay careful attention to this. This is really important. And why is it important that you lead well? Because the, the church are the people that Jesus has purchased with his own blood, he says. Like when you look at your neighbor, if your neighbor is a believer, that person has been purchased. The, the God of the universe sent his son to die on a cross in your place and shed his blood in your place that you would be saved from the wrath of God, that you would not taste death, but that you would have life to the fullest, what is truly life, in fact. This is what God has done. And so this is why we should take it very, very serious. And then he gives the warning in verse 29. Why does it matter that Jesus is gracious to give shepherds to the church? Because Paul says, I know that when I leave... There's going to be wolves that are going to come in among you. You know what? Um, here's one more little thing, and then we better take communion. The, um, we're way more afraid sometimes of what's going on, the influence of the world out there on us in here. But do you know what? In the Bible, it's never that way. The, the actual enemies in the Bible to the church and to Israel were actually from within. He says, wolves are going to come in and be among you. Right? I mean, the, 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 the non-Christian friends that I have, they don't, they don't care about the gospel. Really. They're not somehow trying to stomp out the gospel. They just don't care about it. Right? The real danger and threat to the church is right here in this room. It's us. We need to hold each other accountable and encourage one another and keep each other on the gospel, right? In the word of God, on track here, because that's the most important thing. And when we start getting off track there, then, the, then we're the ones that become a threat to the church. We could easily begin to teach things that are not true and lead people astray. And so Paul says, when I leave, there's going to be those who come in among you, and they're not going to spare the flock, they're not even sometimes going to know it. But they will speak twisted things and draw away disciples. In fact, that book by Alyssa Childers, that's her story. If you want to read, I'm, I'm halfway through it. If you want to read a book that just tells the story of that, that's literally the point of that book, is, is how easily from within the church uh, twisted things get taught and leads the disciples away. And so therefore, he just closes and says, therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish you with tears. I love those two things together. He says, I didn't cease, he's again calling him just to remember, I didn't cease to admonish you. The word admonish means to strongly urge somebody to not do something or to strongly urge them to do something, right? I love that because those two things together, he's like, I didn't cease to admonish you, which is a very strong word with tears, right? He, he pleaded with, with the flock of God, and he, he taught the flock of God. He urged them. He admonished them, but he did it with tears and compassion, right? And so, and so he's saying, be alert, watch out, and remember his, my, again, he's, he's, remember the example that I set, admonishing you through tears, and then he says, I now continue, and I'm just going to use this as a benediction. He says, and now I commend to you, I commend you to God. It's as if he's giving a benediction here to them. He says, and now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up. This is for you, to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. He's, and then he goes on to say, I coveted no one's stuff. And you yourselves know, he says, I provided for myself, I coveted no one's stuff. And then I love this ending. He says in verse 35, in all these things, in all things, I've shown, that, I've shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. There are the words of a leader right there. It is more blessed to give 
than to receive. Jesus' words again says, when he says, if you want to be the greatest leader, you must be the servant of all. It's better to give than to receive. You realize that's a radical statement that goes against the grain of every one of us in this room and everything in our culture. We live in a consumer culture that wants to receive, do things for me. The church even is for me. Do it the way I want it to be done, right? It's all about me. And Jesus has taught over and over again. And Paul's saying to him, it's far better to give. It's far better to pour yourself out for the sake of the gospel than to always just be getting, right? It's more blessed to give than to receive. Man, I'm going to just stop right there and go to communion, <laughs> right? But uh, we're going to take communion. And uh, I've really already said what it's about. But communion is that moment where we come together at this table. This is where our unity comes from, right? Our unity is around what Jesus Christ has done for us. There are lots of things in this room that we would, would disagree about. I mean lots of stuff. If we were to have coffee, we could probably get into the weeds. But this is our unity right here. This is what brings us together. It's what Jesus Christ has done for us on the cross. And when we celebrate it together, we are coming together to say we are one people formed, being formed into the image of Christ who have been purchased by his blood, who are being made new day by day by day, and we celebrate what Christ himself has done. And so if you're a Christian here today, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you believe that Jesus Christ died for your sins, and you have trusted in him as your Savior and Lord, then I invite you today to come and take these elements and remember his life and remember his death for you and his blood shed on the cross. Let me pray. Father, thank you for your mercy to us today. Thank you for blessing us. Thank you, God, for giving us an example that, that your son is the ultimate picture of what it means to be a leader, what it means to lead. And thank you for examples like the Apostle Paul, who's not some giant of a man, but he's, he's simply a man. In fact, a very sinful man whom you transformed and changed by the power of your spirit. And you made him a brand new person. And you've done that, God, for many of us in this room. You've made us brand new people. And I pray, God, that we would, would seek to learn from Christ and learn from examples like Paul, that we would live and love and serve in such a way that it would put you on display to the world around God, please do this in us, I pray. And we ask this in your name. Amen.